Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm your radio, radio Hello and welcome to the Nyler Nine podcast. Woo! It's twenty twenty four, and we're back with our first episode of this uh, long running podcast. How long have we been going now? This is episode two thirty eight. So long, long enough. enough. We'll, long enough. We'll leave it at that. There's a lineage we? of, of yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye, there. everyone. <laughs> yeah, long, <laughs> too long. Bye. That's Andrea Cleary, Bye. of course, on the other line, as in. Noted musicologist <laughs> and PhD. Not a Thank you. <laughs> you are to me. <laughs> you are to me. <laughs> Not a PhD either. Yeah. PhD student. Hopefully soon to be a candidate. Oh, PhD God. student. No, you're not, not a PhD. PhD yeah. But you are a PhD student. You're doing. You're doing wonderful research things over there. <laughs> I'm uh, trying. Music. So yeah. So as we record this, this is the night or the morning after our Listen Closely event in the Big Romance. So we saw each other last night for the Mad Villain uh, listening party in the Big Romance, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, really great to hear that album in full on the Toby. It was amazing. Like, again, you you mentioned it beforehand, like addressing the, the people who were there. It was like, it's weird, right? When you're sitting here listening to an album, but. Yeah, there was I something really about it. this I really one. Enjoyed listening to that like, in that context because it's a hip hop album. Because it's you know it's it's something you kind of want to dance to. This was definitely like even compared to the fort. So we've done fortet rounds. We've done Sufjan Stevens, Illinois, and then we did Mad Vilney. And even compared to the fortet one, there was a lot more kind of movement in the room. It was like people couldn't help but like kind of respond to the beats. It was yeah. really cool. Yeah, it was it was great. Th- shout out to my three students who came along as well. Nice to see you if you're listening to this. And yeah, it was it was a really, really lovely night. I really love doing those events. And we announced last night and we'll announce now that our next Listen Closely event uh, for February will be us listening to Laurie Anderson's Big Science. Now in the room last night, I asked, 
who here knows this album and two people, a father and son, raised their hands and said whoop and everyone else didn't know the album. So if you want to come, buy tickets. <laughs> but also, um, I do think that maybe the demographic didn't uh, didn't o- o- overlap with the with the Mad Villain fans. So, but if yeah, uh, if, any, well, if anyone's interested in, I mean, I'll in, be honest, uh, I'm not, I'm not Laurie Anderson or learning a bit more about her. My currently on hiatus podcast, my favorite album. I did a episode with Claire Beck, uh, who chose that album as her favorite album, and she very much introduced me to that album and I love it now. So there's a nice kind of chat with me and her on that podcast about that album. If if you don't know much about it and it really, really, really is fantastic. And I think it's going to sound just incredible uh, on the speakers. So, you know, you and I were discussing you're, you're not that familiar with it except for Oh Superman. So maybe you'll just go in completely yeah. open yeah, I'm thinking about it like I mean, what all I know about it is it's a seminal, important record. It's certainly, as we discussed as well, we wanted to platform more women. Yeah, we've had three men in a uh, in a row. As well. <laughs> so it's time for time for some ladies. That's true. Yes, and funny enough, can I say this now because this mm. is what you were thinking about doing? What we were, what you almost <laughs> did for the for next uh, for February. <laughs> now you had a good idea. We yeah. were going to do a Joanna Newsom album, right? So I thought, great, we had Ease Down. I was like, cool, grand. It's like, do you want to do that? And then you were like, maybe we should do Have One On Me. And I was like, do you know that's like, over Andre- two hours Andrea, long? Andrea, that's two and a <laughs> half hours be- long. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe not that. <laughs> it could be. I mean, uh, it could be an endurance test. All right. We would have, we'd have, we'd have to absolutely have, have to do breaks. breaks but I mean, I, I'm, I'm not against it. Let us know. Write in if you'd come to a two and a half hour listening party. Something else that actually came up afterwards when I was talking to Dimitri from the Discord Hi, and his pals. Uh, so from our Discord, which you get Patreon access, uh, true Patreon you get access to. We were like, oh, maybe down in the line in December, we could do kind of like a spin the wheel kind of mystery oh. album on the night. Where you're like, you have 10 albums that we've chosen and somehow we do some sort of yeah. spin the wheel thing and be like, okay, which album or are we going to listen to or this something month? Even. That one. Yeah, that'd be yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, Could be interesting. Could be, or maybe or not tea. too many tests. Are you listening crap, but, uh, <laughs> to our new game show idea? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Just a recording of, of people solemnly looking at uh, at their feet oh, for love 46 it. minutes while a mad fabulous. band plays. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> it's actually something that would be uh, probably people would watch on YouTube. You know, like we've got mukbang yeah. already of uh, oh, people I love watching people eat. So YouTube people videos people of people music. reacting to songs for the first time I absolutely love like I swear, like there's there's a few YouTubers who do like me reacting to like Beethoven's fifth for the first time and they're just like freaking out and I'm like I don't know if this is the first time you've heard this but I this is still a very entertaining format so I will watch it but yeah, yeah there's a there's a few there's one there's this Canadian guy and his dad and he he plays albums for his dad and they but they have a really nice little setup but a nice like LP player and good quality sound system and stuff. And his dad's really into music, so he's introducing him to like really cool, like new albums, like Phoebe Bridgers' Punisher. They did, or they did like a Kendrick Lamar or Lemonade by Beyonce. And his dad is just so like receptive to it. Uh, I can't remember the name of their yeah. channel, but um, I'll send it to you after, and you can put it in the show notes. It's just it's just really pleasant with uh, kind of watching, and you kind of see them connect with each other through like this kind of like cross-generational like interest in music and then there's a few episodes where his dad 
introduces him to something that he might know as well. So sweet. It's nice. Yeah. Great. Lovely. That was that's actually something that came up last night as well in chat to somebody, one of the artists that came last night he was chatting to, and he was saying he was supposed to bring his dad, but his dad his car broke down or something. He bought his girlfriend. But he was like, Yeah, me and my dad, he my dad bought me the tickets for this. I was like, Wow, cool. Uh your dad bought you tickets for Mad for the Mad Villain listening party. That's cool. I'm into that. And then I had a conversation with him about like and then others like Dimitri about uh just, you know, bringing your dad to gigs and you're like going to I gigs know. with your dad <laughs> and i was like i brought my dad to see queens of stone age in the ambassador and he absolutely <laughs> fucking loved it it was so good yeah <laughs> that was back when i was in college a long time ago but yeah okay so what are we going to talk about on this podcast we want to kind of just ease ourselves back in normally we do a best of the month we may talk about some of the music that we liked this month at the end of this podcast but you know there's been a lot happening there's a lot happening in irish music and also in the wider world of of music journalism obviously the big news this month is that pitchfork was announced that it was going to be subsumed into gq magazine an announcement that kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people and certainly i i think it was a surprise for the staff i think at least 10 staff seem to be laid off 10 to 12 staff who are working full-time on pitchfork.com were let go. Condé Nast are the owners. They bought Pitchfork in 2015. So they would they run GQ and Vogue and the New Yorker. And they have decided to bring Pitchfork as a brand into the fold of GQ magazine. And it's been a while since there has been a internet music media flashpoint mm. like this. The days when this was announced, you just saw so many people who were involved and giving their take on what was going on and reacting in real time to all this kind of stuff. It was really fascinating to see. And then you hearing stuff like, oh, Anna Wintour kept her sunglasses on while she uh, let all these people go and all this kind of stuff. This is what you're dealing with. Where's the humanity of these people? I know. It's well, all very know, I mean, Devil like, Wears Prada, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, isn't that film based on her? Yes. It is. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess from one perspective, when Condé Nast bought uh, Pitchfork in 2015, maybe it was no surprise that it was going to do something to it. On the other hand, as you were saying, it's a bit of a slap in the face to be bringing it into GQ, typically a men's music magazine. Gentleman's Quarterly. After the last five years, which in terms of Pitchfork had done a lot of work in terms of expanding its coverage to be a lot more inclusive and uh, under the editor Pooja Patel if you pay attention to Pitchfork you wouldn't have noticed how much she has done in terms of bringing in more inclusivity and uh, variation mm. uh, in voices you know Pitchfork started in the mid 90s in Chicago as this indie rock kind of irreverent music online music magazine obviously became known for its big reviews and the scores and stuff like that but in recent years i think it had pivoted a slightly to a bit more of people use the word poptimist yes it did cover taylor swift more often 
But it also still, while it was covering Taylor Swift and everything and the national and whatever else, it was covering these really underground records mm-hmm. that no one had ever heard of. And I think what's come out of the chat around this is that, first of all, there's a lot of artists who have will suffer from this if it changes. Ran- like, we don't know what the actual outcome is going to be in terms of ultimately what does pitchfork.com, where does it go? Does it actually disappear? or does it become gq like pitchfork.com just becomes a gq Mm. music or whatever and interestingly if you look at gq music their existing coverage on the website is pretty dire there's one about turnstile making a sneaker playlist of songs michael stipe reviews his 35 greatest jackets (laughs) you know this is the kind of stuff that like it's style it's lifestyle it's moving in Pitchfork obviously did a really good job in terms of features and stuff and and really going in depth on things. And that is something that is in danger of being missed now. Mm. And now I do, I want to get your take on it, but I will say I do think there's my cynical view of it is that uh, there was obviously a lot of talk about the Pitchfork union Mm. in advance of this. And the union wasn't getting what they wanted. And it seems to be a lot of the people who were, who had joined the union were the ones that were let go. So, I think there's that could factor into a lot of this because Pitchfork, as it came out, is one still one of the is the most popular brand in terms of online stats for of, of Condé Nast completely. So it's not like the website was failing and people mm. weren't looking at it. That's an important point. It's not like oh well, Pitchfork isn't making money. I don't know if it was making money or not. It seems like it was. It seems like it was a very popular, influential brand that they're suddenly decided to can in some way. Mm. So what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, there's so many kind of different avenues you can look at it through. Obviously, my first reaction to it was the the gender dynamics of it being folded into GQ and just how disappointed I felt that, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm disappointed in Condé Nast for not making a... <laughs> For like this giant company from not making a, a decision that, you know, doesn't feed their bottom line, but actually keeps, a, you know, a, a diverse sort of readership. But there's there really is something so disappointing about the decision to fold it into a men's magazine, because like, I know we all know this, but like music as a or like ser- serious music listening, we'll say as a as a male pursuit is something that has existed within the music press and specifically the, the the rock press since its inception and it does feel you know you you mentioned the advent of of poptimism there and and the the kind of the diversification of voices and of who's being covered on uh, on pitchfork like we all ev- everyone who works in music media has has some kind of beef with pitchfork right like it's you know they they gave your favorite band a bad score or there was a there was a review that just kind of didn't didn't really hit for you like everyone kind of has an opinion about pitchfork even a lot of people have a problem with the scoring system but but it's still an incredibly important thing to have a successful music website where people can read serious considerations about music whether it's pop music whether it's rock music whatever it might be and crucially a website that will introduce you to new music and and treat all music kind of seriously and folding that into a men's magazine just sort of underscores this cultural assumption that serious music listening is for boys and pop 
pop music or what pop stars are wearing or, you know, that, that, that sort of like celebrity side of the music industry is for women. And those are the kinds of things that are covered in, in w- women's magazines. Like there are no women's magazines really. I mean, Vogue do very good profiles of musicians from time to time, but, but there, there's no dedication to specifically catering to a, a music audience of women. So, but, P- but Pitchfork wasn't gendered. It, it hasn't felt gendered in a really long time. It has felt accessible to me. I It's been a really long time since I've read a review or a piece on Pitchfork where I've thought that the gender politics of it were off or strange or a little bit sus. Like their, their, their editorial team are, have been absolutely fantastic in diversifying their voices and the music that they cover, but also just so, sort of taking that out of the the picture altogether like it's it just it doesn't feel gendered and folding it in, in into GQ we were talking about this last night even if the even if there isn't this idea of like music isn't for women it's like no they you know women we, we can obviously go onto the website and we can read it but what what magazines need to do with every single thing that they put out is to think about their readership. And the readership of GQ isn't women. The readership of GQ is men. So they're going to be thinking, what do our readership, i.e. men, in, b- between the ages of whatever, 25 and 40, whatever the readership of, of GQ is, what do men want to read about? What will men click on? And men will click on the top 10 Kanye West sneakers or, you know, the, like that that kind of stuff. And there, mm. there isn't going to be anything that... I don't even want to say caters to women, but like there's, there's going to be, we're, we're not going to be a factor in it at all. So that was my, my, my first reaction was that just kind of an anger and, and, and a disappointment that like, you know, this, this behemoth of, of, of music journalism that has been a big part of my life as a, as a music journalist, but as a music fan and as a listener for as long as I can remember is, is, you know, kind of being taken away uh, in in a way and kind of packaged up as as a male pursuit again and then the other issue obviously is is seeing the reaction of staffers and editors and freelancers online and just the kind of the precariousness of of their position after the announcement and we saw this with Bandcamp as well like it seems to be that within arts publications across the board not even just in music this this like this lack of consideration for writers as workers and i think the union busting mm. idea definitely holds some water but this is across the board in in the music industry it is and you and i are going to talk a little bit about our our kind of very different experiences working in in the music industry but it it is it it has become almost impossible to make a living as a music journalist now and to just see yet again groups of like incredibly talented people and incredibly hardworking people just hear these announcements, you know, and find out that they that they no longer have a job. It is it is so much more than just what what what's the future of music journalism going to be, which is an important conversation. But it's also like what is the future of how we h- how we treat critics like what is the role of the critic like why why is there why why have we allowed 
corporations to swallow up all the space where critics can meaningfully make money doing a job and then decide that actually that's not lucrative or that doesn't fit in with their five-year plan or whatever it might be. And then we're all just kind of thrown out to the wolves to start a sub a substack or start a newsletter or start a blog or whatever it might be and try to build this industry up again from from the ground up like it's this like weird cyclical thing and it's so like when I stopped freelance music journalism it was because I I was starting a PhD but you know a lot of the reason why I wanted to get out of it was because it was unsustainable for me I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore and I had to diversify. I I wrote book reviews, I wrote lifestyle kind of women's magazine stuff to kind of supplement the fact that I couldn't write about music all day. And I enjoyed doing book reviews and women's yeah. lifestyle stuff, but it it sort of underscores that like you cannot make a living doing this. Like it is or if if you do at any minute it could fold, you know. So well, that's what happens when you put your trust in in a in a in a corporate um, in a body. And we've no alternative. Like that's that. the thing. It's like we have we have no alternative but to do that. There, there's no like it is so hard. Unless like you know, we were talking last night as well. Like a lot, a lot of the people who've been let go from Pitchfork, an upside, a silver lining is that we're going to get loads of really good newsletters, like really good quality journalism from people. Yeah they've already built up that profile through yeah. working with a corporation, you know? And so for people who are trying to get into it now, like, I don't know, like it's. Yeah. I hate to be that person who's like, well, I wouldn't bother. And I, won't, I would never say that to anyone no. because I think it's just, the conversation is what does a music journalist look like now? Mm. Um, and that old idea of, you know, someone who goes to interview an artist uh, for a feature or who reports on what's going on in the world is kind of gone in that way. I find it really interesting. You talked about those sub stacks there. Yeah. I mean, that was one silver lining of all this. All of a sudden I was discovering all these sub stacks I'd never seen before. Mm. I was like, wow, these are all these been existing for a while now doing some interesting stuff. And it makes me kind of reflect on what I do for 909 and how that works for the community and how it works for myself and how I can, how you can try and build these things. And, and it is such a difficult thing to answer because I've been doing this 20 years as of this mm. year, later wow. in November, 20 years when I started this. So that's, well, it's, it's almost 20 years. It's, it'll be, sorry, it's 19 years. It'll be 19 years. Uh, it'll be my 20th year starting, mm. but you just kind of go, what is left? What is important? What do people want? Clearly, people wanted a uh, nuanced conversation and interviews and features and discovery from Pitchfork. There's also Fact magazine folded as well recently, or it was announced that it was going to be completely going. Now, some of that Fact magazine, electronic music magazine, was kind of already announced to be on the way out, but it was still doing stuff. And their mix series, which had been going for years and years and years, is was just quietly announced that that would be shutting down. So yet another avenue. So it's like we've got stuff like Resident Advisor, and then we've got all of these little uh, publications which are continuing. We've got the likes of Stereogum talking about music. Mm. In Ireland, I like to think that myself is doing some of that stuff. But again, this is down to like, what can you actually do? And what do people want? Mm. It is really hard to dedicate your time to long form interviews or long form reviews when ultimately I found a lot of stuff 
in terms of typical album reviews, people probably don't want that anymore. And the algorithm doesn't want you to do that mm. kind of stuff. We had a great, uh, I didn't do it, but Droid, a, a guy from Dublin who runs a, used to run a website, used to DJ and used to, and now has a um, a show on Dublin Digital Radio. He did an interview with Autecker with us recently, a big long form, like 15,000 word article, did it on with the bug this week. Those kind of things are, he's doing that in his spare time. It's very hard to find time to do these kind of things, yeah. but it makes me think about like, what do people want? And there's been a lot of discourse about that as well, about the inshitification of life mm. in general is like the idea I've been that thinking about that everything's term got a worse. Lot. Yeah. Everything's the got internet, worse. Google search like, results are shit. Yeah, yeah everything. <laughs> everything is set up. If you think about like, I always think about the SEO stuff. It's something that I spend a lot of time on mm. with the website because I have to. I have to. I'm trying to work smart. That's a search work, engine optimization uh, for anyone who doesn't yeah. know. So good example of search engine optimization. If anyone's ever Googled a recipe review or a recipe for uh, for something and you're like, why do I have to scroll through a table of contents, a 800 word, like here's the, I just want to see what the ingredients and the and the method and the recipe actually is. Mm. But no, you have to scroll for ages. It's the way that Google prioritizes these things, which are actually make you more difficult for a human to read mm. sometimes. And you're like, they say that that's not what they do, but they, it actually seems to be the truth. Because every time you look at it for a recipe, that's what you Can find. Can I give you a tip for when that happens with recipes? Yeah. If you print the page on your browser if uh, not like print it out but if you do like print page oh yeah it gets rid of all the extra stuff and you can literally just scroll down to the ingredients because a lot of it is like pictures and ads and all, all that stuff but if you just go yeah, print yeah, print yeah, web page yeah. yeah you'll be able to see it so just just a little tip but yeah right. but i mean it's it, yeah. that that is exactly it. it's the unshitification of things and i mean going back to the idea that people don't want to read album reviews i mean a big difference I noticed when when I started early on you know writing about music I was writing for blogs I was writing for Headstuff and Golden Pleck and writing for free there it there, there was kind of there was no word count you know I could write as much as I wanted about something I could write a two and a half thousand word review of an album or I could write a 500 word review of an album and I always leaned towards something a bit more long form because that's just that's the way that I like to write about music but when I started writing for publications and specifically kind of broadsheets and magazines they're in and supplements they're in I really noticed like you know I I mean I I won't name any right but I was writing album reviews for one and I think when when I began writing album reviews for them the word count was there was at least one album a week that was given I think either 700 or 800 words that was the long album review and the other album reviews were 400 words and as time passed that long long, quote-unquote long form seven to eight hundred word album review disappeared and they all became 400 word album reviews now anyone who's who's a writer like we we all know and understand what 400 word looks what 400 words looks like and feels like and what you can do in 400 words and it's basically nothing you can basically give a, a, a one sentence background of the band or artist you can contextualize that this is their first second or third album you can say where they're from and you can talk about two to three songs and give your opinion on those songs and you can write a quippy little summizing sentence at the end and that's it there is no way to talk meaningfully and what I find interesting about that is 
that that sort of approach to album reviews, I think is, is dated. I think it's the wrong decision because we are still treating or these publications are still treating album reviews as though they are recommendations. And that's how it's, how, yeah. and that's how it's always been, you know, the golden, the quote unquote golden age of rock journalism, in the 1970s, you know, it was, you, you read your favorite writer or critic or reviewer because you wanted to know what they were listening to. And if they recommended something to you, you would go out and you would spend your hard earned money on a record, which was not cheap and which you wouldn't be able to listen to otherwise. Now, obviously, we have access to all music from all time periods, all the time at the touch of a button on a little screen in our pockets. We don't need recommendations like that. What we actually what I think the role of the critic is now. And I mean, I was talking about this on a, a panel what, in, in, in 2020, right, right before COVID-19, in 2020, about the role of the critic. And I was there as a music critic on uh, Lyric FM. I was there as a music critic. There was a book critic, there was a film critic, and there was a food critic. And we were talking about the role of the critic. And I was saying that I, I think the role of the music critic now is to kind of translate or contextualize or give some kind of social or cultural context to the piece so that when somebody goes and listens to something, they like it, they don't like it, whatever, they'll come to that piece, they'll read about it and they will leave with something to think about. They will leave thinking about like the gender politics of it or the racial politics of it or thinking about how one genre is born out of this other genre or the kind of the, you know, how, how location factors into this. And I, and I, I believe that that is the role of the critic now. And I think that that's what we try to do when we talk about albums on, on this podcast as well is to not only talk about like whether or not we like the music, but to also talk about like what it is signifying about our culture or about our society. And, and I think Pitchfork and Bandcamp both allow critics to do this. Like there's obviously pitch, Pitchfork have have had a lot of purple prose over the years. You know, there there really is only so many ways you can describe the sound of a guitar and all rock critics will be familiar with the, the, the kind of feeling you have where you're like, oh, my God, how many different words can I think of to describe this sound? But mm. but I think what Pitchfork did, especially with Poptimism, actually, is to actually lend weight to the fact that popular music is an important part of our culture and is reflective of our culture, but also that, you know, rock music does the same and dance music and hip hop. And these are the things that I think dedicated readers want to read. These aren't the things that are going to get you millions of clicks, but it will get you people Mm. returning. You kind of create a captive dedicated audience. And I think that's what, you know, Condé Nast missed out on that's what when when all of these magazines fold it is because the focus is not on maintaining and tending to a dedicated readership the focus becomes growth and growth is not a good indicator of success in arts and culture necessarily do you know what i mean mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah and i was thinking a lot about what you know on that point as well an interesting one for me is that, so I stopped paying attention to, say, soccer for like 
20 years or something mm. <laughs> until the pandemic and I got back into like football again. So I got really into like the likes of the second captains and stuff and listen to that kind of stuff every episode, every most of the episodes that come in. And it's, it's just inter- interesting to note how easy it is to create content around sport mm. and, you know, to talk about what's happened on the field or off the field and business dealings and all this kind of stuff that happens around where music is much more nebulous. It's more like, you know, there's this, the discovery part is something that I personally absolutely adore. I'm addicted to it still. Mm. I love discovering a song, whether it's been for just, you know, scrolling around or something that comes on Spotify, something's on YouTube, somebody that recommends something to me, uh, hearing a song in a mix or like, that's what I do. I love this stuff. Every week I do 10 new songs to love this week. I do 10 Irish songs after. So I, I listen to what, like maybe nearly 150, 200 songs are that are sent to me and other stuff that's around that I've followed and all this kind of stuff from my sources. And I pick 10 and I pick 10. And I love doing that. I love it every week. But also I'm, I acknowledge here, I can acknowledge here that like that's coverage is probably the least like trafficked on the mm. site at the moment because, and it has been for a long, like a longer time than, because that's what I started with. That's why I started Nylon and mm. I started doing that to discover and share. And I think some of that is really still important. I don't like, yes, people don't need 909 to discover music, but what they can maybe hopefully do is like, I still do it. I still look at other sites and look at other p- sources for for context and for discovery. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. And most people maybe don't anymore. And they look for the news, the news section, gigs, stuff like that. Real life experiences. I think there's a lot. I've learned a lot from our Discord with the Patreon where like community is really important, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. The idea that we're all going through this we're experiencing this thing that's happening together and we are talking about it en masse and we're talking about it. That's pop culture. That's music culture. Mm. And that's sports culture as well. To come back to what I was saying about how addictive it can be to kind of like get back into uh, following something mm. like that. Yeah. And music obviously doesn't have that kind of narrative. It's not a competitive sport, but it does have, you know, stories of the day. And that's what a lot of what we're talking about here is that kind of stuff. I think it has a lot in common with sport though, and especially football, especially how Irish people interact with like football and, you know, their, their teams in, in the United Kingdom who we all follow. And, and like there is, there's, you know, there's a sense of community around your football team in a similar way that there's a sense of community around being a fan of Big Thief or a fan of MF Doom or whatever it is. Like, People are excited to hear the news. People are excited to hear that there's a, you know, there's a big signing for Liverpool, but also there's, you know, uh, Burial is going to release an EP next week. Like there's, there is, there's, <laughs> I, I, I can see some kind of connections between how we, how we ha- like deal with and handle sports and how we deal with and handle music as sort of indicators of our selves and our identity and how we kind of form our identities around like I think the things that we form our our early identities around when we're children and when we're adolescents are kind of sports and music and that's those those are the two things that can very indicate to very easily indicate to other people your interest the kind of person you are and the kind of person that you kind of uh, want to be or want to be associated with so if you're you know 
a Manchester United fan in the 90s, you you love winning um, or if you you know what i mean like um or or i just love <laughs> you know like i'm i'm not i'm not like super i i have uh, i've also fallen out of um f- following uh, football because i just find it all very depressing these days but like there's there's a lot of conversations about that like and there's a there's a kind of a tribalism yeah and and that tribalism yeah, exists I mean, in, sure. in music as well sure. i think but that tribalism is on a much wider scale in terms of sports and and, and soccer mm. in particular. Like if you look at second captains, they have fourteen thousand members on their on their Patreon. Mm. I know they are like an example, a shining example worldwide of what it is to create a media platform about something that you love. But I think it's really important to to notice that because if you look at, you know, I look at like Google Trends a lot just to see what's popular, what's, and it's always like whatever match is on at the moment, like Marcus Rashford in, uh, in the Belfast nightclub in Lavery's is really, <laughs> is funny to me at the moment, uh, all that kind of stuff. Like our world's colliding there. I have been, I've been out in Lavery's once, fair play to him. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it just shows it's it's a wider scale. It's a different thing, I think. But music is really important in terms of, I think, when we do these kind of events like last night and you have people on the Discord talking about the music, love, you can see how much it means to them. Mm. You see how much, like, how important it is. And I think music is very seg- regulating in terms of your mental health. Yeah. It's good for you to understand other people's perspectives, emotional capacity, emotional support. It's all of those things. It helps you understand the world. And it's whether you put a value on that is the other thing. And I think we're in this, I'm finding it really interesting at the moment. Somebody who's been doing this for nearly 20 years is like seeing what's happened, how the algorithms and platforms dictate what happens with music. So you look at TikTok and how, you know, what becomes, what's trending in terms of music on TikTok becomes the big thing. You're looking at Instagram and how there, I keep seeing of these like videos on Instagram of like young cool american kids taking videos where you're like here are the five greatest songs that you could you've heard this mm. week and they're just like pointing at a spotify link yeah and you're like is this what music journalism is now you know I what know. i mean like it's kind of like do i have to start doing that now <laughs> because i you know i'm not getting enough traction on instagram with like just like talking about the topics that i want to talk about i have to make video all the time i know it has been like this, this is a conversation that's been 10 years old the pivot to video yes yeah yeah it's just the, the i do value the the written words still yeah. i still enjoy reading mm. what people have to say and and i but i also enjoy like this is obviously we're saying this on a podcast now i but i do enjoy that i love this chat the nuance of chat about music in, in an inform more formal setting about like what we do when we talk about music and we talk about what's happening. Mm. But also I do love a good written article as well. And also it's there, it's there for life. It's there for, for you to, you don't have to every, it doesn't feel as like, it feels a little bit more passive than just like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling Mm. all the time to see, figure out what's going on. So I I do think it's important in terms of. Right. From music criticism as you know, a, a branch of journalism to music recommendation as a kind of content. And those two things have a place in society and in our culture, but getting rid of one in favor of the other because the other gets in front of more people's eyes is, I think, a product of that sort of like growth mindset, you know? Like you cannot put a value 
on somebody reading a really well-written, well-researched profile, for example. Like before before our um before our listening party last night, I read the uh New Yorker profile on MF Doom. And the writer spent like three days with him while he was recording the follow-up to Mad Villainy, which obviously never eighty-five percent done, but ne- never emerged. But he he spent that time with Doom, and that's you know for for people who are a fan of MF Doom, that's a nearly mythical kind of time. And we get this snapshot. He spends like three days with him, and there's something about you know re- reading these things in in the New Yorker, obviously. A, a Condé Nast <laughs> publication, which is prob- problematic, you know, that I'm using them as this, you know, bastion of of of, of great journalism while, while also criticizing them for their pitchfork decision. But, you know, it, it's it's that time you you can't put a value on the sort of the information that I gained from reading that, the context for Doom's work that I gained from reading that. And and that spreads out. It's it's not it's not just I'm learning something about doom, but I'm learning something about a moment in hip hop history, and I'm learning something mm. about this kind of this mythical man. And it makes me want to learn more, and it makes me want to read more about this person, and it piques my interest. And those sorts of emotions, that sort of curiosity that we all innately have about music, is something that is important, I think, to nurture. And it doesn't, you know, it, as as individuals, I think it's important for us to to keep our curiosity alive. It's very easy as we get older to become less curious. You know, I don't ever see it happening with mm. you, but it it does it does happen to people when they get older. They have children, or you know, they have families and they've lives, and and they don't have as much time to dedicate to music as something that that feeds them and nurtures them, and as something that. It is and should exist outside of boardrooms and and looking at whether the graph is going up or the graph is going down. Like music is so much more important than all of these things. And you really can't put a value on the experience that you have reading a really, really good piece of criticism or a really, really good profile. Because I think the other thing about about music is that like like obviously you and I are big big music people, music's our thing, right? But Unlike sports, like there, there are people, and I know them, who if you ask them to name three Premier League teams, they just about be able to do it, right? Like it's it, or three basketball teams, whatever. But music is something that absolutely every single person in the world knows and experiences and has opinions or feelings about or associations with like I was teaching recently and I was telling my students that music is a cultural universal which is a word we use for something that is is not only present in all cultures all cultures today like no matter how remote all cultures today but evidence of it has been has existed in all cultures at all times in history and it is the only real thing we have artistically you know other cultural universals are like language like greeting one another you know like family structures taboos like it it is that important and that ingrained in our humanity and i i know i'm getting kind of uwu about it but if if we treat music and music criticism which is just a way of talking to one another about music as something that has a bottom line and that we can actually take away from people then we're not allowing those people to to experience something that they should be able to experience, which is good, intelligent, well-researched, I nearly said the word content, criticism or journalism 
about music and it's just like it just makes me sad <laughs> like it just makes me sad that like yeah. like it's it's it, it's a kind of a it's becoming more of a minority thing to be able to you know talk about music meaningfully with one another like that's sad yeah and i think yeah that's uh i mean there is that discourse as well about like especially breaking new artists when and that is part of the the problem with you know breaking new artists it's where it becomes about your bottom line your numbers mm-hmm. your things that you've done your you know the followers the streams the monthly followers you have your TikTok and all of that followers. obscures and, yeah and obfuscates what's actually important is that like what that CMAT song makes you feel mm. or what that Brian Eno track how that makes you move through the world yeah. and how it helps you or whatever a Willie Nelson song and what it means to you and how it relates to you and your family or mm. you and your dad whatever it is you and your mother my you know those kind of things those kind of ideas and and how those things are so important for us all and how that isn't counted in any bottom line but it's no. more important than anything for a lot of people so yeah so yeah anyway music is still important guys <laughs> don't forget it <laughs> and i mean you know we're obviously like we're preaching to the choir here the listeners to this podcast you know are are in the discord we're all chatting to one another about music every day i learned so much from them i get so many i i'm not a big discoverer of music these days just because of time but and any music that i'm discovering i'm discovering because of the discord so we're very much preaching to the choir of people who are interested in we hope intelligent conversation about music who listen to us or who read your website and so on yeah. but it's i think it's just this uh, I suppose we just wanted to sort of mark it as something that is, that feels to us like, I I don't want to say a shift because it's been happening kind of incrementally over the past, like probably longer than a decade, you know, the inshittification of the internet, you know, you mentioned, but the inshittification of criticism and, and I'm sure people who are, who are interested in film have, have noticed this in, in film criticism as well. There's not the kind of, as much space for 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 that as well and and you know i'm sure it's the same across the board in theater and and everything else but it's i think it's it's just it's just disappointing that you know the the great pitchfork as much as problems as as we've had with it over the years is just has come down to a business decision made by anna wintour and she has decided that this belongs in the men's magazine and that's sort of what like triggered the conversation today like it you know that's like no this will we'll put this in the men's magazine and that will be better for our bottom line what about the cultural bottom Mm. line what about the emotional bottom line anna you know (laughs) take your sunglasses on have some so have some respect yeah for sure but yeah, look, it's, that's all to say as well, to put a pin in it, uh, support these independent platforms like ourselves who are doing mm. these things day in, day out, who do not have a corporate overlord and support the people you love yeah, and you like to listen to and you, you trust because they can't really do it. Like I can't do this without support of the people out there on Patreon mm-hmm. and like I, the website runs through its reputation and advertising that we can bring on it the advertising on on the podcast is is fairly limited in terms of what you get back it's those people who engage with us directly and put advertise advertisements on the website and engage with us in terms of sponsorship 
are giving us, allowing myself, and I say us, like really allowing me me to make a living mm-hmm. from this and to continue to make a living from it. And sadly, there is not budget there for me bringing in other writers or anything like that. Mm. I don't have an investor. I don't have any of that kind of thing to do. So it's literally, this is a, this is a, a, a 95, 99% maybe, you know, in terms of the daily is running. It's, it's, is myself it's you running sitting it. at your and, computer while also trying yeah, to raise could, a baby. We, this wouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, this wouldn't exist without me just continuing to do it. And if I gave up, you know, I can bring, I used to have staff, I used to have people who were able to work or wasn't able to pay them that well. And that's the thing, that's kind of like, they're, it's just not possible to be able to do that anymore. Mm. And that's depressing as well. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is just the way it is. And and I think that support is really important. So for me, if you don't do that already, it's patreon.com forward slash nine or nine. That helps myself and it helps Andrea. Mm. But really, it's just about, you know, recognizing what you can do, doing what you can and trying to give back. I, I try and do it with other people here and there. It's really difficult. I understand people don't have the money. Mm-hmm. It's grand. And that's what it is. But that's the way that's the way life works now. You see so many artists as well. I mean, in terms of uh, the money that they're making back through streaming and all that kind of stuff. Support them directly. Mm-hmm. Support anyone you can directly where you can tell that there's not going to be a cut taken off them, a massive cut. It's important. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, we move on then to a couple of other things that have happened recently. Uh, Let's talk about the Choice Music Prize. Yeah. We may actually get uh, one of those round tables going on this to discuss these albums in full, maybe in February before it all arrives. But the 10 albums that were nominated for Irish Album of the Year this year. Any surprises here for you? I'm going to read them out briefly. Green Chatton, Chaos for the Fly, CMAT, Crazy Mad for Me. John Francis Flynn, Look Over the Wall, See the Sky, Kojak, Phantom of the Afters, Lancome, False Lancome, Rachel Lavelle, Big Dreams, Soda Blonde, Dream Big, The Murder Capital, Gigi's Recovery, The Scratch, Mind Yourself, and Ezra Williams, Supernumeraries. So that's a, a solid 10 albums that were released in the last year that have been nominated for the Irish Album of the Year. Probably the award that we end up discussing a lot on this podcast because music is dear to our hearts and Irish music in particular. A very solid list. You'd have to say that probably Lancome's False Lancome would be the favourite there. Mm, I I would say... Think that... I think I would say that um, Lancome and CMAT both have a kind of a, a, 
an equal shot if if you're if you're doing the odds up I, I i would put them quite close together the only ones i haven't listened to are the green chatton and the ezra williams ones so i can't speak to either of those though i will say green chatton was a little bit of a surprise for me that that he made the short list but you know i haven't listened to it so i can't comment yeah. on it I don't think it's bad. I think it's nice. It's a nice mm. album, but I, I kind of do feel like it's maybe more the Fontaine's influence that has brought him here mm. because I think there are better albums that were released from Irish artists this year. Yeah. Yeah, I was just a little bit surprised to see that there. CMAT, obviously she won it last year. Crazy Mad for me is a really good album as well, but I think they say that it shouldn't influence, you know, who won before, but I think it does a little bit. I think, yeah, so, I mean... I it must do, right? Even e- e- even if you're trying not to. Well, it to... does in your decision. It's not like, yeah, I mean, on, you're supposed to take the album on its own merits. When you're in there and you're doing the judging stuff, you're supposed to be like, it doesn't matter if they've won it before, mm. you have to discard that. But I think a part of you is like, well, if they won it last year, do they really need to win it again yeah. this year? Probably not. Like, John Francis Flynn, second great record that he's released now. Mm. Kojak, his third album or second album, full, fully probably not. Kojak as, hasn't won. You know, no. no, he hasn't yeah. won. I yet, think no. Ko- Kojak and Rachel Lavelle would be like if, if I think like Seema and Lancome would be kind of for me either of those would be the expected win, but Kojak and Rachel Lavelle I think would be would be good decisions. They're both excellent albums. I'd actually I'd love to see Rachel Lavelle do it. I think. I think she's she's yeah. primed for it, and I think that winning it's Irish album record. of, of the year would be. Record. I mean, it feels it feels appropriate. It does it does feel like a new sound. She is a very very exciting Irish artist, and I think that she's primed to you know do great things elsewhere as well. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if if she did it either. And then yeah, I mean, so that Soda Blonde album was really good Soda as Blonde. well, and Soda Blonde. Scratch was good, I mean, and yeah. Murder Couple. I'm I'm not mad on Murder Couple, though, but but I can I can kind of appreciate a better them. album than their first one. Yeah, I yeah, think. it was a yeah. step up, but it wasn't the best album. It wasn't the best Irish album of the year, I don't think. No. Uh, but I I support their inclusion in the list. I think, but it's yeah, it's it's an interesting. Um, do you, do you have there who's been confirmed to perform on the night? Yeah, John Francis Finn, Kojak, Lancome, Rachel Lavelle, The Murder Capital, Soda Blonde, Ezra William. This, Williams, this is going to happen on March 7th in Vicker Street every year, mm. the Choice uh, Music Prize. Uh, the winners announced, se- and seven of the ten will be performing. The Scratch are only able to perform on the night, and CMAT and Green Chat have yet to confirm their attendance. It is the same night as The Smile well. in Three Arena, so a lot of people have a lot of big decisions to make, including me. I, I, I really love that new Smile <laughs> album, and I um considering for the first time in many years not going to the choice and going to see, going to see this man three arena but we'll see we'll see what happens sure listen yeah yeah i think it's an interesting one the judges list is up there for anyone to see representatives from district 2fm cord blossom rte of course who are involved majorly in the uh, award itself uh, bbc radio also other voices eight radio It'll be interesting to see what wins. I think, uh, like, I guess Lancome, that Lancome album, False Lancome, had huge international c- cultural yeah. and critical cachet uh, in the end of year lists. Mm. And, and nominated for a Brit as well. Hart, who, nominated what? for a Brit award as well, weren't they? Weren't they nominated at the Brits? No, I don't think or so. Or what were they nominated oh, at? Oh, you're talking about the, the Mercury. Sorry, the Mercury. The uh, Mercury. The Mercury, yeah. CMAT was nominated for uh, the Brit That's Awards. That's it, yeah. Best International <laughs> Artist, yeah. And Jazzy, who's also one of some of these uh, 
these other award lists, which is uh, the kind of stuff which is Irish Breakthrough Artists of the Year and Irish Artists of the Year. I think I was involved in that last year when the Fontaines won the Irish Artists of the Year and Keen Ducrow won Irish Breakthrough Artists of the Year. There is no criteria on any of this stuff. So mm. it's kind of a bit more open. Irish Breakthrough Artists of the Year, 49th in Maine, Jazzy, John Francis Finn, Oxen, who are basically a supergroup uh, involving Lancome and Katie Kim and Percolator uh, Scratch in there as well. I'd be interested to see what wins that, but I think the album one is the one that we that really matters yeah. and it's the one that is really important. Again, it's always like, any, time, any year when I'm like, it's definitely going to be Lancome, you're just like, it's the the rug is going to be pulled from under. Yeah, <laughs> you just know. Yeah, I can't call this you to be honest. Know. I I, th- I think it is a strong list. Like there's there's one or two that I kind of w- that I might not have there, but I think it's overall a strong list, and it, it could be any one of four for me. Yeah, those being C Matt Lancome, Rachel Lavelle, and probably Kojak or John Francis Flynn, maybe any one of five. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's the choice. Yeah. We look forward to it. That's a choice. So I wanted to just briefly talk about the Eurovision this year as well, because I think there's a lot going on there. First of all, in terms of the act that was chosen to uh, go forward to represent Ireland out of the six, it was an interesting one this year. The acts that were on the kind of uh, late, late Eurovision song contest, Eurosong special, were kind of like acts that someone I, we've featured before on another nine. So we had the likes of Erica Cody, Elsha, JLOL and Toshin Bambi Thug, uh, who was the eventual winner. And um, I have to say I was surprised by Bambi Thug getting over the line there in terms of the win. Did you, are you have you heard I the song? I haven't heard the song. Um, maybe, will I? I'd be interested to see what you think of it because I really, I was like, that's really out there. And it's kind of like, how would you describe it? It's like weird, she, like Bambi Thug makes kind of weird, hyper pop, electronic kind of fun odd music and i was like i just can't see anyone going for that this year but it has won and it is going and i think what's really interesting here is that ultimately there was a lot of discourse this year and there should as there should be it's growing at the moment i think we're going to be talking about eurovision again because israel are in the eurovision Mm. and they is a lot of there's a lot of talk around europe at the moment about whether they should be allowed Mm -hmm. to be even in this and this is not a new conversation no obviously it's buoyed by israel's genocidal acts in gaza in the last 100 plus days why is a country who is doing that allowed to exist in this entertainment competition Twenty-six thousand people have died in gaza as a result of israel's actions and and they've been accused of war crimes and accused of genocide in the International Court of Justice. And there's increasing, uh, you know, evidence that they are, are committing these kind of crimes. So, and the Eurovision themselves, they say that it's not a political entity. They they don't take politics into things. But obviously people are pointing out the fact that after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russia were banned from partaking in the Eurovision as well. So they're, like wh- whether we like it or not, I mean, the idea that we could talk about the Eurovision and say that it is apolitical is completely ridiculous. Any Anybody who is a Eurovision fan will know even, you know, uh, about like like the, the, the voting blocks and the, the uh, like how, how countries vote for one another based on kind of historical allegiances. It's a really, really, really political 
competition and to pretend that it isn't just so that you can yeah. include Israel or so that you can justify the inclusion of I- Israel while Russia is banned is in itself obviously a political act. So, I mean, I think I think I'll be joining the boycott of it. I mean, I'm not. Um, I I I wish all the best to the to the Irish artists going, but I it's. I think for me, the Eurovision, it doesn't mean as much to me as it does to other people. It is quite easy for me to not pay attention to it and to not look at it and to not engage with it. And I think it would just kind of make me feel a bit icky on the night if, if, you know, when it's just, just particularly now it's, yeah, I don't know. What was interesting, I think for me, both Bambi Thug and Erica Cody in advance at, at an RT press conference on the morning of the your song last week did say that they think that Israel shouldn't be allowed enter. Yeah, and I think um, I think that these kinds of comments and conversations are really really important even if Israel are not banned from it, even if Israel do partake in it, which it it, it looks like they will. It is it is very very important that our acts who we are sending and I mean absolutely no ill will to like any country or any artist who was involved with this like absolutely nobody is no individual person is responsible for for kind of boycotting on an individual level and we know that individual boycotts don't work anyway but but it's important that we enjoy and exercise the freedom to criticize this decision as as artists and as fans of 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 the Eurovision so it'd be interesting to see I mean there's 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 a lot of countries talking about a boycott Ireland there there's there's a conversation about a boycott from Ireland as well mm, so absolutely I mean yeah. and there has there been to be seen. this is not a new idea like I said it uh, in 2019 there was actually my my partner was involved in a kind of anti-Israeli pro-Palestine solidarity alternative Eurovision mm-hmm. that took place in the national stadium that year because it took place in Israel yeah so this year it takes place in uh, Malmo in Sweden mm. and yeah there, a thousand artists from Sweden including Robin Fever Ray have signed a petition to say that Israel's inclusion trivializes violations of international law and makes the suffering of the victims invisible and I think this isn't something that's going to go away either because it is a issue that we can uh, people who are uh, seeing the injustices happening in the world and how the Western uh, powers are complicit in what's going on mm-hmm. in Gaza and the horrible nature of what's happening there and, you know, things that used to have some sort of red line decency are don't no, no longer seem to be there in terms of because Israel is, Israel is emboldened by its support from Western powers. So I think it, this isn't something that's going to go away. No. Iceland as well, Finland as well. Artists from both of those countries have been talking about this. So, you know, it's, I, I think it's, it is a difficult uh, situation for an artist who who is going there. And I think Bambi Tug, who is representing Ireland, has also kind of said, you know, it's not, I mean, I don't think, what did they say exactly? I think that when Russia was made leave competition, there should be the same rules for everyone, but it's also not down to contestants. It's down to the Eurovision. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this isn't going to go away. No. This isn't, like make, maybe an artist will be making statement around it on stage. There, You know, it's, I think if Israel is allowed to continue to be included in the Eurovision, it's, this isn't something that's I would imagine if there is a statement or a flag or something made on stage that 
I would not be surprised if that meant a disqualification for the artist. Ge- yeah. Genuinely, like I'd It'd be interested I'd, to see what happens because they are they are they they do not allow political statements on on the stage. But I think particularly with Palestine, I think I think it's a particularly volatile space to be making any kind of statement about Palestine, and it would not uh, surprise me if it meant exclusion from from the from the competition doesn't mean I don't want to see it <laughs> doesn't mean I don't think it would be cool if someone did make a statement but wouldn't surprise me if they were like no you're disqualified but you know yeah but anyway I just think it's interesting because that will be I think the um that criticism is only going to go louder before May arrives and uh, unless Israel is taken out of that competition and I think that's what probably should happen ultimately yep. can't see it happening but um anyway by ignoring that I think it's just going to get louder and louder and louder so those are the main things that have been happening uh, in January while we took a break. It's February, we're back with some new music stuff. I guess we will be back to regular programming as of next week, whatever that may be. But in the meantime, Andrea, what is there anything you've been listening to or anything you want to recommend or shout out in terms of uh, what's consuming you? Yeah, I think, you know, the past month I think has been a really good month for Irish music. I really like the new albums from uh, Sprints and from New Dad as well. Both of those are really cool albums. Really nice to have like two solid Irish albums in the first month of the year. I mentioned The Smile as well. That's kind of all the new music I've been listening to. Haven't gotten around to a lot. The television, obviously, like everybody else, I've been watching The Traitors. I've been watching... Can we have a tra- Traitors yes, chat? Please. Can we do it? do it? Come on. Because you on talked in. about it before last year and I didn't get into it. No. Now I'm fully in it. I'm and I've watched it all. Obviously, yeah. it's over last week, uh, season two. Best yeah. best thing on television. I enjoyed this so much. It's honestly like <laughs> I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. I was like Claudia oh, Winkleman. Like, can we have a moment for that woman? The woman she is. <laughs> like she. No one is having more fun at work than Claudia Winkleman in the Traitors. Yeah, no one's better dressed. She's having fun. No one is like like the. It's so campy. It's so you know like the the funeral episode with one of the contestants like walking to her own grave like Paul couldn't <laughs> be my son but Ross is like just iconic like just absolutely iconic like Diane like Paul like oh it was I think se- season one was like or season two was even better than season one I think like season one was really fun because you got to see people learn how to play the game and we got our first yeah. villain and Wilf and yeah. Wilf is like you know he'll always be iconic for being the first traitor to kind of make you realize that traitors can turn on one another and then you see the game grow in the second season because they've learned a bit from the first season and they've got different tactics and it's just so good like if anyone hasn't watched it like there's there's no one that I wouldn't recommend it to I'd recommend it to an 80 year old and I'd recommend it to a 13 year old like there's no demographic that I don't think would be absolutely delighted by this show like it's for everyone yeah everyone and the final was perfect, perfect. I thought this time oh. like it was so good the way it was spoiler alert if you haven't watched the trailer just skip yeah do, like do not listen to this next bit because it will ruin it yeah but I was so delighted for Harry the way yeah. he actually won it because oh yeah and it was perfect because like you couldn't have written it better Molly his best friend 
down to those two and and she makes a decision is like everyone is like my dad was texting me he was like why 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 did why why did she molly not realize what jazz was doing the name on the slate she had written jazz and then she looked over at harry and said is it you and harry looked her in the eyes with his gorgeous little calf eyes and said it's not me and she rubbed out jazz, she she rubbed out harry's name and wrote jazz's name and like, oh my God. She clearly panicked because like, why would you, why would Jazz want to vote again if he was a traitor? He was going to win. I know, I know. It's oh. just, it's pure panic. It's like, Upsetting. and no one was thinking about the shield question. No, no one was thinking, wait a minute. E- everybody who knew that Harry had a shield is now gone. So the only logical thing that we, that, that, that it could have been is that Harry, Harry had the shield and was a traitor and set up the whole shield thing. Like my, my Harry was like yelling about this. He was like, <laughs> how, how are they not thinking about the shield? Like it was just, oh, uh, it's just like, it's so good. It really is so good. And like, I, I play, um, mafia or, or werewolf with my friends like we 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 go away for a weekend once a year and a big part of that weekend is playing playing werewolf and it's it's our favorite kind of like parlor game and we spend a whole evening doing it and we love those kinds of games and yeah it's just so fun to see it like a, in a television format in, and it not feeling like it's sucked the fun out of it it's actually added so much to it and yeah it's absolutely brilliant it's brilliant it's like it was mm, like yeah. like when when they got Paul out, like it was, I was. He was such a pantomime villain. It was so he great. Was, he was I like, thought he was the, sh- he thought he was the shit. I, he thought he was the shit. I wanted Paul so to win. Funny. I 100% Little Harry. wanted him to do it. And then when, when Harry usurped him, like it was. He was great. Oh. He was great at, at being a traitor. He was having yeah, great fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing yeah. it. Like, I mean, it's, what, it's so funny. Andre, what like, would you be like if you were a traitor? What would you be like? Would you be able to do it? Right. So obviously I've thought about this so much, right? So I know going into the show that I would prefer to be a traitor. I'm I'm always rooting for the traitors. It's I, I, I think they have more to do. I think you can go in as a faithful and not actually do anything. You can kind of just skate by if you just don't get in the way of the traitors. The traitors are the ones that deserve the money because they're the ones with the sleepless nights. They're like, you know dealing with, with like you know different personalities in front of different people and playing 4d chess and it's incredible but i think i think i'd be a good traitor because i think if i do say so myself i have quite a trustworthy face <laughs> i think pe- people yeah, on the street ask me that. for directions or they ask me do i know you know what i mean i think i think i'm relatively approachable and i think that i just think i'd be a good traitor and i think Part of the reason why I think I'd be a good traitor is because if you have anxiety or you have any kind of mental health issues that that kind of make you mask a little bit in front of people or, you know, regulate mm. your behavior around people, then you're already pretty practiced at doing it. And I was thinking as well, like queer people who who have to like or who have in the past been closeted or had to like pass in some way there's kind of this practices that a lot of different communities do <laughs> in terms of like passing and behaving in, in, in a certain way so as not to seem like something else. And I feel as a person with anxiety and as a queer person, I've got a little bit of practice of those things. So it's, yeah, I think it's interesting. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'd love to read like a, like a really long like paper about like the psychology of, of, 
picking whether to be a traitor. And the reason as well why I'd like to be a traitor is because I think I'd be a fucking useless faithful. <laughs> I'm, I'm very gullible. Um, so I'd, I'd have to win as a traitor, otherwise I wouldn't have a chance. Do you know? What about you? Would you, would you yeah. want to be a traitor or a faithful? I just feel like I would give myself up at some point yeah. without trying to like I just would I would just be like I think that's that's the hardest part is like not it's not saying something random where people are like what are you saying that yeah. for like, I don't know <laughs> it was like it was a bit like watching I wouldn't be as bad as your man oh what was his name not y- Ross your you, man like, who had that absolute meltdown for no the brain the brain fart where he was like can can I can someone just tell can I just ask the room can someone tell me why I'm not a traitor <laughs> why they think I'm not a traitor it was like, like Zach that was so random it was like it was, it was like, like, it was like so the random. moment in season one where the guy is like uh, I'm a magician and she's my girlfriend and you're like what are you doing yeah. Sit down. That makes no sense. Sit down. But I, I love that part. Actually, do you know, I, I'd, I'd love. I think I'd be, I'd give it a good go for sure. As a trader, I'd enjoy the, uh, the, the devilment of it all. Yeah, and, uh, I want to be in those clothes. You know, I think like... I'd be pretty good. What I have been noticing is like the way that people like introduce, and maybe it's just the way it's shot sometimes, but the way that they kind of like no. I'm trying to like introduce this idea. Mm. It's like I think Irish people. I'm looking forward to the Irish version because I think they are we getting the one? more casual. Yeah, there's an Irish version on the way. Oh, uh, yeah, who's yeah, hosting yeah. it? Absolutely. I don't know yet. I don't. I know. don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> You've got the ache. Oh, uh, I just think like maybe just get Irish people on the UK one. <laughs> like <laughs> let let us have Claudia. Like. I'm, I'm scared about who's going to host it but anyway anyway we'll see we'll see what happens yeah. get a fine a decent castle somewhere in the Midlands uh, we've got beautiful perhaps, castles or, or to be down go. We, we do yeah. have plenty of those plenty of them so yeah I mean it'll be interesting it'll be interesting you'll watch it you'll definitely watch it oh I'll it. watch it have you seen any of the other ones no you can recommend no now. no interest I know I no, know I know the, the American one I heard the Australian one, one was good I've heard the Australian no? one is good I know the American one for their first season or their or I'm not sure how many seasons there's been but their early seasons were a mixture of celebrities and muggles but their new series is just celebrities yeah, the reality tv I don't like that stuff, I'm like, I don't like that what like because the thing that's so amazing about the traitors is that they are normal people and it's so rare that you get like people who just look like people on television you know obviously there's like Love Island and all of these kinds of shows where everyone sort of looks like a different version of the same thing. It's really nice to just see like a diverse set of normal looking human beings on the telly. Louise Bruton writes really well in, in her newsletter about the kind of rep- representation of various disabilities in uh, in the traders as well and that it is like really leading the way and it it's not like it doesn't... it it doesn't affect any kind of way of like participating in the game. And it's not like people's disabilities aren't built up as something that they are overcoming to play this game. It's just like, no, here's a normal person who happens to have, have a certain kind of disability and, and you just forget about it. And you're just like, okay, like, yeah, look at all these normal people sitting around just going in and accusing each other of murder like it's just it's great it's brilliant yeah yeah so delicious. so the traders has been murder. like a big big part of my january but um i mean oh, o- other than that i I've mean been... since since we had a child i've been watching a lot more tv yeah. because you spend a lot more time just sitting around yeah but uh and it's been great traders been great for that yeah definitely that and fargo and dope sick 
and Reservation Dogs. If you've not seen I haven't that, seen Reservation with, uh, Dogs. I watched Dope Seek when kids. it came out. It's excellent. Yeah, I'm still watching that now. I'm really loving the, the new season of Fargo as well. I've only seen episode really one of that. Fargo and it was so much fun and so entertaining and I absolutely love it. I do not like the new se- season of True Detective. I think... Yeah, you're saying that. I'm interested. I thought I thought it was set up to be like, oh, it's a return to form as if people had seen it already. No. But you're... It's you're weird, like, right? Because no. like Nick, Nick Palazzo, who was the creator of the show and wrote seasons, I think, I think seasons one, two and three he has been like an absolute asshole online about the new season like he updated his bio in i think his uh twitter account to be like creator of true detective and then put in brackets not the new season or not season four or whatever it is and he's just been saying like all this all this shitty stuff about it online but also before it came out a lot of the fans of true detective particularly true detective season one did not like that this was a show that was being led by women and women of color and, you know, a t- tale as old as time. There was, you know, review bombings of it before it even came out. People were giving it like, you know, really low scores on Rotten Tomatoes and various uh, aggregate sites. So then when the critics actually got their hands on the show itself, I think they were given the first four or five episodes. There was a lot of like, extremely positive reviews about it. And I don't doubt that that these people liked the show, but I do think that there was a bit of a, maybe a bit of an overstatement of like its good qualities in a lot of those reviews. That's the only way I can describe it or, or can understand it because I have genuinely found it like baffling in terms of like who, like what are people's relationships to one another? Why, why should I care about this person? Like, what can we talk about the murder like i i like that there's kind of ghosts and supernatural uh, elements but like there's not nearly enough of them we're just not spending enough time talking about the murder and it doesn't feel like a a show that's about a murder investigation it feels like a show that's about kind of like interpersonal conflict and nothing else and it's just i don't know i don't like it i think i'm giving up on it interesting okay well, I may end up watching it uh, once I finish Fargo. You might week, like it, you know, like it's, one. I think it's just yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I just don't think it's well done or well written. And, you know, yeah. Har- Harry says about it, he's like, it, it would want to cop itself on. He's willing to give it one more episode. So I'll probably do that. But Okay. Yeah. 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 Other than that, uh, watch Anatomy of a Fall oh, last week, which so I very much good. enjoyed. Uh, that's so very, very good. good. Um, that's the best yeah, film I've seen yeah. in ages. It's really good, isn't so it? So good. It's about what, it's not about what you think it's going to be about. And then it's about, yeah, I, I love the dynamic of it all and, and how it all works. And that song. <gasps> uh, oh, <laughs> banger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I, I think I that actually, all, no matter what the genre or the plot, I think that all films should take place in a courtroom. Like that's just something about me is I love, love a courtroom. <laughs> Um, I love a lengthy courtroom. What is the scene. story with the French justice system, though? You can just fucking say whatever the fuck mad. you want. Because I, I was thinking this about this woman them. is a bisexual. I know it's fine, but they're all talking to each other across, across the courtroom, and they can interject with questions for whoever they want. And I was thinking about because um, the only other experience I have, like knowing anything about the French justice system, is obviously the Ian Bailey trial that was happened in in absentia yeah. of him. I was like, this is a mad L system. <laughs> Everyone's just chatting to each other. I, very interesting. Learned a lot about it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't sure. want to be on the stand. 
in France. No. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I don't blame. I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. So I actually heard about this film through uh, my own um, search uh, or like the Google search results bringing coming to the website because I wrote about that pimp cover in 2016. Ah. And all of a sudden I was getting linked to that. I was like, what's going on? Why are people linking to this post from 2016? Uh, so the band are called Bacow Rhythm and Steel Band. Banger. And they do a lot of this kind of steel drum, uh, steel uh, band covers of things. And I love a steel band cover. So what I actually did, I, I shared a, a playlist on Patreon last week of steel band kind of covers. Mm. And then like there's some Jamie XX in there as well, because he's always using the steel pan. There's some famous like well-known songs that use it like heaven is and hell is on earth by the 20th century steel band they do a lovely cover of uh love sick the Muramasa aesop rocky tune blood orange is in there there's even a radiohead track there's fever ray all that kind of stuff a fun thing to mm. do but yeah uh, Fire. Uh, every time the song came on which came on a lot oh, yeah. in this film i was like wow, yeah and cool. also <laughs> like can we talk about um best performance from a dog in supporting role my god like oh my what god. a dog yeah, yeah. unbelievable dog i hope he gets to go to the oscars like that little one from the artist <laughs> put a little bow on him yeah. absolutely yeah. gorgeous what was his yeah. name Great. his name is snoop that was it snoop Creep. snoop dog um yeah he was he, yeah got everyone at the, the child that was in it was just like marvelous and your man the French French actor that was in it. I've never seen him in anything before, but he he was just like incredible. And then obviously she's like scene stealing, incredible. Harry seen her. I can't remember her name now. Harry seen her in other films. Um, and yeah, I've said she's brilliant. She's brilliant in in everything that she's in. So I'll have to go and have a look. But yeah, it's nominated for best yeah, international picture at the Oscars, I believe. It is indeed. It is indeed. All right, well, I didn't get the chance to talk really talk about any of the albums that I've been enjoying or anything like that. We did briefly have a discussion last night about that. We're both like the new dad mm-hmm. album quite a lot. Marika Hackman is an yep. album I'm really enjoying at the moment. Haven't got around to it yet. Those two in particular, Sprint's album is doing really well in terms of Irish releases. Really, a lot of people seem to be taken by the kind of post-punk garage rock kind of buzz. Mm-hmm. They've been doing really well, released that album uh, first week in January. I love some of the stuff on it a lot more than others, mm-hmm. but really think it's a it's a really solid album if you're looking for that kind of post-rock, post-punk stuff. The New Dad, I'm, I'm mostly impressed with because I think they're such a, they are a new young band and I think there's a confidence there which comes from the production as well. Chris Ryan on production as well. I think it's really well. I'm just so excited about them. Just really excited yeah, about it. It's still early that. days yeah. for them, really. And Sprints you know, as well. Like, I'm really excited about Sprints as well. Like, they're just, yeah. yeah. There's a lot it's going good. on. Uh, the other thing I'm really looking forward to this year is, and I've been listening to a lot this month, is a band called English Teacher. Terrible name. But I did see them in May last year at The Great Escape and they were brilliant. And uh, I really like everything they've done since then. So English teacher, they're playing here uh, May 22nd mm-hmm. as well in Whelan's and Ulster Sports Club Belfast on May 21st. A uh, really good band. So Albert Rose and last track they had out, they have a song called The World's Biggest Paving Slab, which has just been constantly, I put that on quite a lot. So uh, yeah, English teacher, a, a takeaway recommendation for you there. 
Uh, but we leave it there. That's an hour and a half now we've been discussing uh, music this month. So, yeah, lots more to get back into. We'll be back next week, I presume. Um, and we will have more chat about then. Andrea, thanks so much. Nice to, Thank you, nice to flex the uh, podcast yeah. muscle again. Happy so St. Bridget's Day to everybody. Happy Imbolc. Happy St. Bridget's Day. Enjoy your long bank holiday weekend, yeah. wherever you are and whatever you're doing, whether you're in Ireland or not. Be safe, be seen. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Emil. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.